Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast where Chelsea have won a game of football. Yes, it kind of feels it's quite feels nice saying that. Uh, it's been a while. Um, join me. I've got two guests on the pod. Returning Tom Coley. Tom, I don't know the last time you were on, but you know it was probably life was probably a bit happier then than it was, but it is now. But hey, we've got to win. Uh, how are we doing, my man? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I think it was Everton after the first game of the season. Um, so what? What a different time we're in um but it's it's good to be back on after a scrappy win would you believe it i know indeed indeed it kind of kind of a pattern we have and on the pod good friend travis trav my man how are we doing ah uh, you know doing all right today felt more like a return to normalcy a little bit of stabilizing within the team maybe like the the best most boring win we could get uh Honestly, maybe I was kind of hoping for that. I wanted just this win that felt like it was very composed throughout and we got it. So I'll take it. But uh, yeah, it's been an interesting week, to say the least, as a Chelsea fan. Um, I feel like we've gone through the, the mix of emotions here, but we're we're on the process now. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Uh, as I always do, I guess I get them to give themselves a plug. So Trav, tell people where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Crossroads underscore CFC. And then if you want to hear me on any podcasting for whatever reason, uh, Nick is also our audio editor for it. And you can find me at Balanced Blue Pod. Yeah, make sure you check Trav and Balanced Blue guys out. That link will be in the description. And I've got Mr. Tom Coley. Tom, you've now got you've now got your own podcast to plug. Because the first time I had you on, you you plugged the Blue Crew. Then you just went absent for about 14, 16 months or whatever. And you're back with that. So tell people where they can find you. You work at Football London and, and another Chelsea podcast for people to check out. 
Yeah, so f- for myself, um, it's at Tom Coley 49 on Twitter and also on any of the sort of Football London sites, uh, mainly Chelsea stuff. And then also, yeah, the podcast is back. We restarted it this year um, and we thought we maybe have cursed Chelsea, but we finally got a win. So we're going to, the Blue Crew are going to be back with a Chelsea win for the first time in 2023 and the first time since Chelsea beat West Ham at the London Stadium before we'd won the Champions League. Um, that's how long it had been. And that's at the Blue Crew Pod One, um, for a podcast that's not too dissimilar to this, but we just don't have any guests because we're boring. <laughs> <laughs> Links again will be in the description below. Right, it's been an eventful week at Chelsea. Before we get into that pretty grim Fulham game, which yeah, we do unfortunately have to talk about. I guess this, you know, we can start before we get into that. Jao Felix arrived, and I mean, Tom, I'll be brutally honest. When I saw he was coming, I was like, yeah. I just, yeah, you know, it was an attacker. It was on loan without an option to buy. So I was a bit like, hmm. but, um, just what, but, you know, after seeing him against Fulham, I, in 58 minutes, I fell in love with him and I want us to sign him permanently. And I think he's the best attacker this football club has seen since Eden Hazard. So, um, we, I guess we could talk about, you know, just your thoughts, feelings on, on your original thoughts and feelings on when we got Jao Felix on loan. And now, kind of after watching 58 minutes against Fulham before he got himself uh, sent off, just your thoughts, feelings on him. I think that basically sums up the sort of week. I mean, I too wasn't particularly bothered by it, especially when I sort of found out the terms of the deal were so strongly in Atletico's favour. I mean, I wonder how... It shows the desperation Chelsea have got for a new attacker um, in the fact that they've accepted the deal that they have, the six-month loan for whatever it is, around about £16 in total, plus him signing a new contract, no obligation, no option to buy. There's not too much to go on there for Chelsea. Like, I don't really see the benefit uh, other than heading into the summer. I was really, really surprised by how good he was against Fulham. I mean, just from the first moment he got the ball, running down the wing... Cutting inside, I think that sort of excited everybody, and it really also showed everybody the sort of how low Chelsea's attack has fallen, how uh, systemized it's become, how positional it's become, and actually what a flary player that just sort of does whatever they think of, like what that looks like in a Chelsea team because we haven't seen that in so so long. I can't I say I can't actually remember a player like Felix playing for Chelsea. So almost going back to somebody like. Quadrado, as bad as he was, like just that sort of free spirit on a pitch. Obviously, it's like 60 minutes of him. Um, we'll see how he does until the end of the season. But straight away, it's more positive than I thought we were going to see from Felix. Like, we could have gone three, four months down the line, and I didn't think we'd probably get a 60 minutes as good as that, or Jao Felix. So, straight away, it's good. It seemed to get the best out of Havertz, sort of. You know, there's only so much Felix can do. He can't give Havertz end products or a good pass and things like that, but seemed to get him and Mount more involved, but genuinely quite positive. I thought if he'd played today, I think it would have been a perfect game for him. Like you could see how he'd improved Chelsea today, but not yeah. too bad. We've got a win without him. Yeah. Despite being sent off in the 58th minute, Jao Felix had the most shots, six shots on target for successful takeoffs two and won the most fouls for of any player on either side in that defeat. Trav, he was basically the only bright spot against Fulham, really. Um, but just your thoughts, feelings on Jao Felix, and I guess how much of your sort, of, how much of your has your excitement changed, and your just sort of expectations sort of gone up from seeing just that small glimpse of him at Fulham. Yeah, so I mean, I think it was obvious in like 57 minutes we see quickly how electric he is on the field, and and I had expectations for Felix. I was very excited for it, like on on my podcast, Balance Blues Brothers podcast. Me and 
Jordan Cohen did an episode to break down initial thoughts that we thought, you know, what we could expect. And we, we, we all had some reservations with him given that he's kind of fallen out of favor at Atletico and the system at Atletico is so different than what most of their teams play, especially with him kind of getting shoehorned into a striker role. And so it just, a lot of things that I didn't think fit at at, at Atletico for him and then how that would transfer to the premier league, specifically Chelsea in the state that we're in, I was a little concerned. And then we see that he's going to be kind of in this second striker role and I was like, well, he can work there, but he's really going to be best if he's kind of in those half spaces um, between center back and winger, right? If he's going to be sitting in between those. And I think that we saw a lot of that, right? Whenever he was immediately on the ball, getting into those channels, getting into those lanes, having those cutbacks, like, and, and Tom, you mentioned it as well. Like, there's only so much he can do, though. Because, like, I remember his first real movement on the ball should have been an assist. It, it, should, it was a one-on-one and Havertz doesn't convert it. Um, you know, blocked it into the defender that was sort of uh, he had a he had an angle to go there, but he kind of hit it into him, is from what I remember. But it just it just showed very very quickly from that first touch with Felix, it was like, oh, we have a we have this kind of attacker now. Like it felt like every time he had the ball at his foot, something can happen. This guy can provide this. He he has that spark. And what I liked a lot is not just his dribbling, but he was creating a lot of shot shot creating actions with his you know, with his passing and whatnot, really felt we had that final third guy. And I thought that him and Mount specifically looked to have a bit more of a chemistry there. You know, Mount's kind of had his own struggles this season. Maybe long-term Felix can work together with him. And then, we, you know, even the summer now, we're going to have a much different attack, it looks like. And I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit. But, I, I mean, Felix was great, exceeded my expectations. And now I'm kind of somewhat saddened that I have to go another two matches without watching him. Uh, that it's, it's just really disappointing to see such a great performance. And then the red card was very, very unfortunate, but completely deserved. It was a terrible tackle, horrible decision. Everything about it was deserved that. I mean, that that's a potential shin snapper if he's going at a faster speed than what he was when he makes that tackle. So it really stings to see that happen. It's a lot of letdown as a fan, especially because of how bright his performance was, but it's making me more excited to see what him and Mudrich are going to do together when they get the chance to in a few matches. Yeah. It was like, I had to say like on the field, I was really excited by this because it was good, but like off it, I didn't like the way it was going. And it's a little bit like Mudrich, like off the field. I'm a little bit like really him now, really, but on the field, I'm like, right, this could be really, really cool for Chelsea, like going forward. Um, and that's, that's a fine position to be in. And I think, as you said, Travis, like about the way he sort of played at Atletico Madrid, you can almost see the way it's actually helped him in a way in this Chelsea team. It's the sort of being vertical, playing through the lines, being quick, progressing the ball are all things that Chelsea haven't done, but are all things that Atletico Madrid have to do as a sort of relatively passive team uh, when they do like like off the ball, so they spring counter attacks, and that's something that Chelsea have been in the position for, but have then been so laboured and so structured in possession that Felix was just like, no, I'm playing my game, and that's that's what clearly Graham Potter wants because he's led the deal for Mudrick. It seems another player who's just vertical and even like Madueke as well. He's another player that's just vertical and looks to be. His first thought is go forward with the ball. And that is something that Chelsea, as I say, have not seen for such a long time. And that on the field, that's exciting. No matter how little sense it might make off it. 
Yeah, indeed. With the inclusion of Jao Felix against Fulham, meant Chelsea have used more players in the Premier League this season than they did in the entirety of last season. Adding Benoit Badiashide's debut against Crystal Palace, that takes up to 28. In last season, they used 26 players. And Jao Felix was the first player to be sent off for Chelsea on their Premier League debut, and the first to do so for any club since Federico Fazio for Spurs against Manchester City in 2014. But it was a very eventful debut. However, as we kind of touched on, that was basically the only good thing that came out of that Thursday night game against Fulham. Thiago Silva, usual caveat of basically was pretty, pretty excellent, kind of, you know, was just surrounded by idiots in the back. And and Lewis Hall had some moments and then also struggled. But Tom, that was as much as I want to praise Felix, and actually I thought we were fairly good attacking wise, obviously still some poor decision making in the final third, which we're just going to get with this Chelsea team. Defensively, that was abhorrent. That was that felt kind of just Lampardian in a way, like like a nice throw lap. But like Chelsea was so open. Yeah, I mean, Fulham hit the bar. I mean, Trevor Chalabar, who big defenders of, been wondering why he's not played as much. He was torn apart by Willian. Sergio has quite a had his struggles with Willian. I mean, like Chelsea, just all over, just, you know, just bullied, just struggled, just, just clueless, really, weren't they? That was as bad a defensive performance, not just individually, but like in terms of what's going on um, that I've seen from Chelsea in such a long time, like being absolutely grilled by everybody. Um, I mean, it, it, it was a bit of a joke, like, Koulibaly and Chalaba couldn't do anything right. They couldn't head the ball to eat, like to anybody. They couldn't pass the ball. They couldn't clear it in time. They were getting done in terms of timing. They were positionally all over the place. I mean, it's pretty poor. I mean, when you look at the defence in general, you've got an 18-year-old at left-back. You've got Chalaba, who's not played much football, if any football, since the return, having played about 10 straight matches. Before that... And then you've got a 33-year-old uh, wing-back, you've got a 38-year-old at centre-back and a 31-year-old, other than that, really, really struggling to keep up with the pace of the Premier League. I mean, I mean, what Chelsea did today, by the way, at the end of the game, where they had Koulibaly at left-back, I mean, it was pretty ridiculous. And I mean, I think you can see how bad defensively Chelsea were at the fact that Badia Shile came in today and just looked so assured. And it was a solid, solid performance. Chelsea at the back against Fulham were a genuine joke, but the two goals they conceded were specifically individually based. I mean, Fulham hit the bar. That was a Chalaba mistake. The only real chances Fulham actually created were down to Chelsea mistakes. Uh, I mean, Kepper has got to do better for the second goal, hands down. He's even got to just come and get it or just leave it, probably, in that situation. And the first goal, I mean, Lewis Hall tries to dribble out, but then Chalaba doesn't clear the header and Aspilicueta gets done by the only thing that Williams has done for the past... 10 years um which is quite ridiculous it was as you say it was a strange one because I think Chelsea did more than enough to get a point from that game at least up until 60 minutes when Chelsea were sort of had just equalized and then went down to 10 men you think right a point here's maybe not even the worst result at this stage but then to lose it the way they did and then not really show any fight or any sort of coordination after that was really really disappointing um but, I mean, yeah, it was like a game of two halves. Every time Chelsea came forward, you thought they might score. But when they lost the ball, you thought, well, Fulham are going to create a chance. And that wasn't even because Fulham were particularly brilliant. I mean, they were solid. But they didn't have Mitrovic. They were just, Chelsea were just giving them chances. It was it was, it was was a bit of a joke. Um, and it just shows, I think, the struggle for Graham Potter to find any sort of balance. Went back to a back five and sort of lost 
almost ironically lost any sort of defensive stability instead of the other way around, which is, it just sort of sums up the issues that he's got at the moment, that that's how things have worked. Yeah, no, it was, it was pretty, pretty grim viewing. Trav, just any thoughts just to add in, in general to what, what Tom's just said on, on that for the match before, before we move on? Yeah, I think defensively it was it was pretty awful, and it was clear as soon as I, not long after the match started, it looked like Fulham shifted to heavily picking on that side of of Shalaba and really just trying to get as many balls as they could into that side, and and it, it's what they must have identified as the weak link. They were right in that regard, and I think Tom, you make a great point, and I just talked about this on my, earlier on another on our podcast episode. You know, we, we've had this kind of struggle with even back to Tuchel days where we were prioritizing this back three system with the wing backs to really kind of make a back five when transitioning into defense and getting into our own defensive third. But we're not really, despite that, we're not really in any way still showing a lot of defensive compactness and resiliency. We know we're, we're having these defensive setups and, and, and formations within our tactics yet we're still having shots generated against us at will, it seems like. I mean, and this is a going back to even the, the end of Tuchel last season, this was the case. And just from a number standpoint, why are we going to prioritize the the defensive setup if we have no ability to do anything with it? Like, if I'm trying to outscore them and I, and I know my back line, no matter what setup, is going to concede chances, well, then I need to generate more on the other end. And... That's something we've clearly struggled with. Maybe the Zhao Felix, that one cameo we saw, which before the red card, looked to be a way that we're going to get around that and create more chances. But I think you make a great point there. Like we still have the kind of this tendency to try to reel back into the defensive structure of the of the back three with the two wing backs, but it's just not working. And it hasn't worked for almost an entire calendar year at this point in terms of what it was doing during the Champions League run to what it's now doing. And I think that now we're seeing even today with Jorginho, we, we went back to the back four, um, four at the back. And we saw, look, again, we didn't do as much, but I think today we look so much more defensively composed than what we did against Fulham. And granted, we had 10 men against Fulham for a lot of that. So I, I expect you to have more problems when there's 10 men on the field. But even before that, it just felt like every time Fulham had the ball, you, you know, after about 10 minutes in that first half that they were really going to have a chance. Um, so I think going forward, I, I just, I'm kind of with you. If we're not going to have this defensive solidity with a back three, I don't really see the point in prioritizing that, especially now it seems like Potter is wanting to move away from that long-term. I think a lot of fans are kind of ready to move away from that long-term. I mean, I, I love the three at the back under the Conte days, but you know, when, when, when Chilwell and Reese are out, you got to kind of question the usefulness of that system. It felt quite pressing that it came out, I think, the day before that Potter had spoken to Jorginho, to Aspilicueta, to Silva and Kovacic, the senior players, about sort of what they felt was going wrong. And I think everybody joked and basically said, oh, no, they're going to go back to playing a back five to sort of paper over their weaknesses. And I mean, I highly doubt that's why Chelsea played the back five, because uh, I don't think Potter would do that. But it, it felt almost funny that that was the way that things then turned out. Because even in the back five now, the weaknesses of these players are too strong to be papered over anymore. Um, and as you say, w- w- without James and Chilwell, this this back five has been pretty useless for well over a year. 
I mean, stretching even further back than that. I mean, it's not even just James and Chilwell, by the way. It, it's one of them. Because we saw when Chilwell left and James was playing, it was so lopsided because Alonso couldn't do things. Um, so, I mean, Jam, you know, Carefree Jam said in the chat before when he realised it was a back five, he hates it. And I said, look, look, it's not just the back five. It's the issue. There are other things, which is true. But going to the back five in that in that situation did feel ridiculous and almost almost part of got what he deserved in that sense because the safety in numbers just doesn't really work anymore, especially when the midfield isn't uh, firing Jorginho and Kovacic because that was obviously something that saved Chelsea a lot of the time because of their positioning. It was Jorginho and it was Kovacic and Zakaria, but the midfields are probably an issue for later on in this podcast. Yeah, just stop playing Cesar Azpilicueta as a wing-back in 2023, please. I mean, that should have ended in 2022, should have ended in 2021. But anyway, and I will not speak on Mateo Kovacic against Fulham. I shall not speak on him. That's all I say. Uh, Bad news, don't surprise that for a month. After that injury against Fulham, just quickly, but I guess before we move on, Trav, that's kind of just like, just kind of sums up Chelsea's like, like Zachariah been this player who was basically a meme for the first few months of the season, then comes in, is one of Chelsea's bright spots in a pretty miserable time. And just as he's kind of getting going, he then gets injured and just joins, joins our, our injured list. It just kind of sums up this season, really. Yeah, it really does sum it up. And I was talking about this too with another fan um, and we were just saying how it seems like, you know, we hit, we get one injury and then that causes us to shuffle somebody else over to help fill that injury hole. And then that causes somebody else to sh- shift to cover that guy going to this spot. And then, you know, after we shift, somebody gets injured from shifting to a new position. And then we just have to keep on shifting people around. And it's like, it just generates more injuries because with every injury, we have less rotational options to come in and give a spot start and then they get injured. And then it's just this, it's just like a never ending cycle right now for Chelsea. I, I don't know what it is. It's really sad to see Sakaria go out because we're playing those more, you know, high pressing sides. He's really, really good at helping us beat that press and transition right out. We saw that a lot of times against City that he was doing that. Um, and you're right. He was kind of a meme for months, but it's now you see, and it's like, what, what why have we been using this player? I mean, I understand now we have the injuries that, pretty much force the hand to, to play him and start him. But I mean, how can you tell me when I watch Sakari at least, I'm not saying that he's some world beater, but is he really any worse? He, there, you can't tell me right now that he's any worse than, than what Jorginho was offered for quite some time, you know, this season or, or what even Kovacic is offering this season. And it's an unfortunate blow to us that we had to lose him at this time. Um, I think that, you know, coming up against Liverpool, it would have been amazing to have him. And we just cannot catch a single bit of break uh, or luck in our breaks for the injury department right now. It's, and it's like, it's like, I know it's even heard that we're opening like an investigation into what's going on and how this has come about. And it, it's just, I mean, I understand that that's maybe cool to learn about, but I, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, so these guys went from Thomas Tuchel in the summer shifting from the back three to sort of experimenting with the back four tactics so that's kind of one tactical shift that they went through and differences in training regimens. And then they go to Graham Potter and then they go to, you know, their world cup national teams, which are completely different. And then they come back to Potter who's now trying to go what looks like to be his actual system. He wants long-term in this team. So they've just gone through so many tactical shifts and differences in training loads and all of that, that these, that these injuries 
seems somewhat inevitable in that regard. And it's just sort of the, the deck everybody's up against this year with the World Cup. Um, but it's just incredibly unfortunate to know that a lot of what's happening is out of restricted options. And then from that, or, you know, you don't have as good of performers on the pitch. And then it just seems like Potter gets blamed for everything in the universe working against us at times. Um, and whether, you know, I, I clearly don't agree with that. I think it's a very bad way to judge him, but you know, that's, that's the narrative we have to deal with sometimes I think as fans. And I, I've seen a lot that it's like, well, why doesn't he just pick other players? And it's like, well, look at the bench or look at the team sheet. Who is there to pick from guys? Yeah, we'll, we'll kind of get onto it. Like I saw when we get, we'll get onto Palace in a minute, but I saw like, you look at that team sheet graphic and you look at the last four names on there. And I'm like, that is really uninspiring. But then I looked at the bench, I'm like, well, it's either this, it's either Fafana who we've literally just signed, who we've got no clue how good he is, or a Bamiang, <laughs> or, or an out of form Mateo Kovacic. I was kind of looking at it and I was like, there's literally no one else. And I think Fofana's like when he was at Molda, they were they're in preseason right now. They're not even in season, so I don't even think that he's been playing consistently. They have played for a while, exactly. Yeah, exactly. The fact that we're like, yeah, you've had a couple of sessions and you're really still in your preseason, but we'll throw you right on the bench, kind of speaks a lot of volumes right now. Yep, indeed, indeed. We'll leave Fulham there. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chelsea made a second bit of business. It seemed after losing to Fulham and hearing Roman Abramovich chance and hearing two controllers, Todd Bowley said, nope, I'm not having that. And he got his wallet out and he signed Mikhailo Mudrik. I hope I'm pronouncing that name. He's been directly involved in 14 goals in just 12 appearances in the Ukrainian Premier League this season. Seven goals, seven assists for most of any player, contributing to a goal every 65 minutes on average. Arsenal wanted him. So again, I've kind of just like the spitefulness of Chelsea just going, yeah, OK, we'll take him. We'll take him from you, Arsenal. Tom, again, we just saw Jao Felix. So then after seeing that, this signing sort of seemed to me like even like lessons. You're like, Todd, midfielder, now, please. <laughs> but anyway, Mudrick, it's permanent. He's here. He, he's got an eight and a half year deal. I mean, you do less time for whatever crime you want to insert there. But just like, just thoughts, feelings. Uh, so I'm... It really, I worked yesterday. I was on shift yesterday and I was readying myself to sit down on the Chelsea desk for a relatively quiet sort of standard news day. Um, And then all of a sudden the news dropped that Chelsea were in Poland holding talks. And then all of a sudden Shakhtar were confirming the talks. And then all of a sudden Chelsea were dropping hints on Instagram. And then all of a sudden it was basically done and everything happened so quickly. And I know from somebody that works at the club that they basically were not expecting it 
to happen that quickly. Um, they just weren't prepared for this. I haven't really began to process this deal yet because I always just was convinced that he was going to Arsenal. I don't really know too much about him other than the fact that he's absolutely rapid. He's left-footed, which is seemingly on what you have to be if you're going to be signed by Chelsea at the moment. Um, you know, Badia Shile, left-footed, all of the centre-backs we're going for are left-footed. I'm excited because he's direct and he's a winger and we do need that because Pulisic's going to be out for a couple of months. We don't know when Sterling's going to be back and he's hardly hit the ground running and sort of fitted right in. And also the only, not really making any progress here with this answer, but it puts a lot of pressure on Chelsea to sell players over the summer. Um, Ziyech, potentially Pulisic, maybe even Havertz. I can't even think about whatever attackers we've got. So it puts actually a bit of pressure because everyone's sat there going, Chelsea, you've got eight attackers ready. And I'm sat there thinking, yeah, but I mean, four of them are out injured and three to four of them are likely to leave over the summer. So Chelsea's frontline next year could be completely different. It's not unfeasible to think that Chelsea will start next season with a front three approaching something like Nkunku, Felix, Mudrick behind striker X, whoever that is. Um, And again, on the field, that's incredibly exciting. Um, Obviously, it's a really small sample size for Mudrick, but he's done it in the Champions League. He was a highly rated youngster. And he's just something different. He's a breath of fresh air. And I don't think the £62 million up front is a ridiculous fee. And from what we're hearing, the add-ons are very incentive-based on Champions League and Premier League um, sort of achievements, which is good. This is what Todd Bowley wants. He wants incentivized add-ons. And uh, I don't know what sort of money he's on. But it's the sort of thing, eight-and-a-half-year deal, spread out the 60 to sort of 80 million pounds over those eight years. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. I like the way it's going off the field. Chelsea, extremely exciting on the field, not particularly good now, but there are players that are coming in and it's looking up. It really is. You you never think um, I heard, I think it was Jamie Carragher say it, that you're never as far away. You're never as far away from sort of recovering as you think you are. You know, you're only sort of three or four players away from being, in a better position. The crisis is always worsened. And you think that's so true because, I mean, I tweeted earlier, today Chelsea had six starters, 24 or under. Um, and that, like, if you add in the fact that you've then got Thiago Silva in there and people like that, it's it's just exciting what's going on. You've still got Colwell, Fafana, James, Chilwell. I mean, those players alone sort of basically change the nature plus the new signings. Um, you're never quite as far away as you think you are. And I think Mudrick... I've not really answered the question about him at all because I just don't know. But it's just exciting. And I I think it could be really cool now to see for the rest of the season because there's no expectations on him. We're not expecting this bloke to come and fire us to the top four because no one thinks we're going to get there anyway. So it could be a nice little settling in period for him, I suppose. Yeah, no, exactly. And if this if we've kind of accepted that this season is basically just let's just have fun and just kind of see what and build to the future, it could be quite fun watching Mudrick and Jao Felix in an attack. Um, Trav, before we kind of move on, just any thoughts on, on that Mudrick signing? I mean, he's not, you know, we believe it or not, I don't I don't think any of us watch Shakhtar in the Champions League this season or, or go and find some dodgy streams to, to watch the Ukrainian Premier League. But, you know, it's a, it's an attacker. The, the attack is, you know, an area that kind of needs improving. Uh, and we've seen already the instant impact one player can have. 
So just thoughts, things, excited to see what, you know, this attack can look like between, you know, from now until the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited to see what Mudra can do. I mean, you're right. I haven't been watching any Ukrainian Premier League probably in my entire life. So there's also that. So I haven't been watching this player. And, you know, I mean, we can all go into YouTube and look at the comps and those tend to be very positively weighted as far as how they're going to show the player. Um, And, you know, you can see just from those comps that this guy with the ball at his feet is moving at a pace that just like looks like nobody's going to be able to handle. I mean, the way how quickly he's moving with the ball is so fast. But I think one thing that even stood out in those comps is he's putting the ball pretty far out in front of him in space in the, in, in the Ukrainian leagues. And I don't know if he'll get away with that as nearly as much in the, in the, you know, premier league itself. So we'll see how that translates, but yeah, I mean, it's a, with the non incentive based add-ons or performance based add-ons, this deal on the surface is not that bad. I mean, overall he, he does fit what we need. We need pace and just absolute direct electric type play on those wings. And we saw Felix who offers it. Maybe it's not the, you know, pure burning right down the wing kind of pace that Felix offers, but he does offer, differences in, in what his profile player is. And we saw, already saw how much that that, you know, stood in stark contrast to our current attackers. And I think we're going to see that more with Mudrich. I think we're going to see a lot of just how rapid he is uh, and how that's going to really transition us quicker in attacks. And I, I think that where we saw maybe a little bit of where Potter wants to go with this, and it stuck out to me, and it was after the, the Bournemouth uh, math match post-World Cup, where we had these you know, very compact, organized, build from the back principles with our attack, with basically our transition from defense to attack. We're building from the back. We have these, you know, pass around. And when it would get close to the exiting of the middle third, it would just be, be these very fast, direct balls right into space to get us quickly down in the attacking third. And I think that's what we're going to maybe see with Mudrich. I think that's what we're going to see is he's going to be that guy that is like the spring, like right when we're getting ready to go into the attacking third, we're just going to hit it up and we're going to let him go get it for us and quickly get us down there and transition us from attack from defense to attack very, very rapidly. Um, I don't know what his goal involvement will be. I'm not going to try to predict that. I don't really know what Potter's role is, but just based on what I saw in a couple of those matches and what I just said, I think maybe that's where we're going to see most of his skill sets. Um, And really financially, everybody talks about this deal as being a negative and it's so much money in this and that, but if they're going to give him an eight and a half year contract and I'm not a finance expert, so this is just my cursory understanding. If it's going to be an eight and a half year contract and with all, with even the performance based add-ons, we're looking at it roughly a little over 10 million euros a year in terms of amortized value on the books for each, each financial year. So that's, I mean, that's really not bad at all from a, a long-term financial standpoint. But I think the bigger trend here is that this is kind of showing that we're, we're overhauling the attack, right? Instead of waiting until the summer, so I think under previous ownership, we would have waited probably to the summer to move on a lot of these attackers and then try to get our recruitments. And maybe by that time, we're getting like options, you know, C and D as opposed to option A. And I think that what we're seeing in this winter window, and this is just my idea, I don't have any information to say I'm right, but I think that what we're seeing is the club's not going to mess around with this. Let's sell a player or two and then bring a player in. They're going to go get who they want. And then I think this summer we see that mass exodus. Like, you know, your Ziek, Pulisic, Aubameyang, maybe Havertz. Um, you know, I, th- I think we're going to see quite a clear out in the summer. I think Sterling stays. I don't really buy the talk that he's going to be moved on because prior to injury, Potter was picking Sterling every match he could. Um, I think he's going to stick around. But it's going to be amazing. Like next year we're going to see potentially Mudrik, Felix, 
Um, next to Nkunku, still going to have Sterling. I mean, that's going to be a pretty exciting attack in the future, in in theory. And, but hopefully we don't do what we do to a lot of attackers and, you know, that's need I say anymore. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. If you just like, I'm just looking, I can only think of the one example from the current Brighton team. Uh, but everyone is obviously raving about Matoma right now um, mm-hmm. and fair play because he, he's been brilliant. That was obviously a Potter signing. He's really, really direct. He's a brilliant dribbler. And just off profiles, this is, it, it said it's been very, very Potter-led. He seems a really, really big fan of Mudrick. And maybe in that sort of sense, you, we can see the sort of style that Potter is trying to put in. Even if we can't see it on the pitch right now, he hasn't really got the players. Um, I think that, as I say, it, it's about like the verticality. Brighton were very, very good in transition, but it, Mudrick's a bit of a transition player bit of a demon at that to be honest with his speed and the way he sort of progresses the ball forward and I can sort of see that if you if we look at the way that Matoma plays and the sort of style and what Potter likes to see you can sort of see a little bit of that in Mudrick and I don't really know how the stylistic comparisons go but you can sort, you can sort of see that sense and the sort of ways that they might fit in together uh, across the clubs I suppose. Yeah, I mean he's got a neck tattoo, so I'm I'm kind of sold on him. Um, it's it's very different to to what a lot of our players are like. So uh, count me in, and yeah, we'll see. Um, obviously that that got announced in the middle of a game against Crystal Palace, which perhaps also maybe told us a, a slight story uh, uh, of how that Crystal Palace game went at times. David, it was kind of just announced mid game, and yeah, it's it's exciting, and he is a player that that Graham Potter has you know been reportedly interested in and wanted a Brighton etc so Chelsea getting him now and as we've kind of a lot of people kind of thought well get these players before we have to get them from other clubs uh it's nice but let's move on to Crystal Palace where Chelsea secured yet another win against Crystal Palace a lot of things may be changing this season a lot of things may be changing as well but Chelsea beating Crystal Palace is that one constant Chelsea have now won their last 11 Premier League games against Crystal Palace in their league history they've only ever won more consecutively against West Brom which was 12 between 1989 and 2011, and then throwing the FA Cup semi-final last year, and it's our last 12 games against Crystal Palace in all competitions. The goal, winning goal was scored by Kai Havertz, and since the last start of last season, only Harry Kane with 11 has scored more headed goals in the Premier League than Kai Havertz with six. Kai got the goal, credit to him for putting that away as a great header. But Tom, I want to talk about a debutante. You know, probably our second probably the second most famous Benoit after our favourite detective, Mr. Blanc, Benoit Badiashile. Made his debut against Crystal Palace. 97% pass accuracy, 71 passes completed, 9 clearances, 5 out of 7 aerial duels won, 5 out of 6 ground duels won, 4 out of 4 tackles won, 3 out of 4 long balls completed. Premier League debut. Yes, it's against a struggling-ish Crystal Palace, but I think that debut probably went as well, if not better, than we could have could have really hoped for, especially given the environment coming into this, this shaky Chelsea team. 100%. He was really strong. Um, he started off a little bit shaky, I think. I mean, to start with, you're playing alongside Thiago Silva. Like, that's got to be a little bit hard to sort of get over. And plus, he was also on the side of the youngsters. He was playing with Chukwameka and he was playing with Lewis Hall on his side, um, which is something maybe worth taking into account. But I, I think he's somebody that not too many people had much of a clue about. Um but I really, really enjoyed watching him today. Um, not only as a left-footed centre-back, so just the angles and the way he was playing passes, he seemed like he was willing to play the ball between the lines, which was something a little bit different. He didn't mess around on the ball, as we've seen Koulibaly do a little bit 
uh, too often recently. If the ball was there and it needed to go, it went. He just cleared it out of the stadium. Dare I say it, a little bit Rudiger-esque with the way that if he needs to come through and just power through people and just get rid, he was willing to do that. And it's the sort of centre-back that is really, really good to look at over the long term because he's only 21 and he's obviously massively physically imposing. I mean, you look at him, Silva's an amazing header of the ball, but you look at corners and Badia is just towering over him. Um, yeah, that that was a really, really strong substitute appearance. He will, uh, sub-appearance, sorry, debut. Um, he will obviously be tested more at Anfield next week. Um which will be an interesting one, but he should definitely, definitely be keeping his place because you can really, really see where he could become a really, really strong player for Chelsea on that left side of the defence. As I say, not willing to go too much into sort of the transfers again, but to have Colwill and Badia Shile, albeit unexperienced, is a really, really nice setup as a left-sided centre-back, two left-footers um, that like to play with the ball and are also comfortable in a three. I was really, really impressed. And towards the end of the game, you know, sort of maybe the last 20 minutes when it was a bit of a siege on Chelsea's box, he was imperious in there. He was absolutely fantastic um, in the second half. And I really, really liked that performance. It was really good. And I was happy that when Koulibaly came on, he didn't come on for Badiashile. And also that it didn't really move us into a back three particularly. It just sort of went to this very, very strange four. Um no, that I, that was a really, really impressive debut. And I think people have been calling for it basically since he signed, to be honest, because of the form of, of Koulibaly. And um, maybe it was good thinking from Potter to wait until the Palace game. What you would think after two Manchester City games could have been a little bit easier uh, to bed him in, a home game as well, and eventually a win as well. So really good on him. I was really impressed with that. Yeah, yeah. Indeed, quite Chelsea ended the pitch with essentially four centre-backs on the pitch with Trevor Chalabar playing it right back and Koulibaly playing it left back. Interesting that Koulibaly came on instead of Cucurella. Yeah. Um, Trav, player I want to kind of highlight for praise, and he's a player that has come in for a lot of stick recently, and a player who kind of like jokingly lazy gets kind of labelled a roadrunner, you know, kind of getting memed for, you know, for, for just doing a workout of a pitch. He's I, kind of just a bundle of energy. Yeah, you know who it is. But Conor yeah. Gallagher, that was actually, I mean, against his former club, that was just a real kind of mature, sensible performance. I mean, he won 15 duels in the game against Crystal Palace from the 27 he contested. And no midfielders won more duels in a single Premier League game this season than Conor Gallagher. In recent games, it kind of just felt like he's just been quite erratic and just been just uh, almost just an agent of chaos, just trying to look just almost too energetic. But today he was, it just felt like actually quite relatively calm, you know, just picking his head up, playing quite a few nice balls in behind as well. And it just seemed quite a more, just quite a, a mature form. And a form kind of like, that's kind of what we can see from him. Just kind of want to see a bit more of that now moving forward. Yeah, I think that, from what you were saying in the past, you know, he was kind of like doing his best audition for Cocaine Bear, right? Um, you know, that's <laughs> from where he was, like when you made that comment and then from where he is to today, I mean, it's a huge amount of improvement. And I think that what what that's probably showing is that he's, I don't, I, I, without talking to him, you know, none of us know this, but it probably shows that he's getting more familiarity with Potter's tactics, right? Getting, because I thought today he played in a little bit different of a role, um, and I, I thought he did look very good. This is the best like Gallagher uh, with with Potter performance that I've seen um, so far. I think, and I and if he can continue doing this, then I think he can have that 
stake or that claim that he can be that squad player or that, that dependable rotational starter that comes in. Cause we need those kind of players in the squad. We just can't continue to have these, these bench roles that we signed people to be starters for. And then through their own underperformance, they just like passively work their way into becoming a bench player. Like we have to stop that madness because we, we lose so much money. It creates these player ego problems. It creates players that just don't want to be here because they're like, well, I was signed to play and now I'm a bench player. My wages aren't worth this. There's just so many issues with that. So we need these kind of guys. And the fact that he's homegrown also helps, but Right, you can see that there's something in Gallagher. He isn't just a, a complete devoid player that just runs around. I mean, that we all knew that coming into the season from watching him at Palace, but then we kind of saw those performances for Chelsea, had our had our doubts about what he can do. You know, you even saw like the memes that like, you know, the, the 30-minute hit workout is like the is the the Connor Gallagher substitute appearance, right? You, you've seen these memes that have come out from it in the past few weeks, but you know, I, I, I'm encouraged by this. And, you know, we have one guy that's in RLC that's done this for a few years now, been that depth guy. What his future holds, I don't know. But I think that if, if his future is on the departing side of it, we have another guy who's going to probably take that mantle and do even more with it than, than what we've seen RLC do. So I, I think that, Gon- that Gallagher, he's young enough, he's moldable, he's somebody that can work with Potter whether Potter wants to use him as somebody to better coordinate pressing and counter-pressing in that, in that attacking third when we lose it, or if he wants to do more of what he did today with him, I think there are roles that Gallagher can occupy, not just you know one or the other. I think he can do multiple ones. And that being a bench guy specifically, because I don't think I'm going to see him with the, the overhaul that we're doing in the center midfield room where it is. Like when we look at, you know, potentially Jorginho, RLC, maybe even Kovacic, some of the, and, you know, Conte, who really knows with him at this point, there's going to be a role next season for Gallagher if he wants it. And, and if the club wants it by extension and, you know, with his kind of, I, I want to say diversity and how we can play Gallagher and given that we can maybe mold him into other roles as well, that he currently doesn't have quite the skill set for quite the understanding for I think he's somebody you keep around for a lot of different reasons. And he knows the club as well. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons to keep him around. And today was a good encouraging sign of why we, why we hopefully do that in the future. Yeah. I completely agree with everything. He's a really, really unique player. And I don't think there's many people with his skill set around, whatever that skill set is. I mean, I couldn't tell you what his role was today. I don't really know where he was playing. Um, and it's quite interesting I'm a massive Conor Gallagher fan, and he's this, as you say. I, I won't go over what you said, but he—he's—it seems he's willing to stay at the club to keep on fighting for his place, basically no matter what. Um, and that is exactly the sort of person you need. You need more of that. You need more that that bloke that if he's happy to start ten to fifteen games a season and come off the bench in ten to fifteen games a season, perfect. Absolutely perfect, because it's only going to be a £30 million signing on 100k a week that takes up that role, as you say, Travis. And I was really happy to see him come back today against Palace again, of course. Um, and after sort of the week he's had, the, the Man City games, he sort of got taken the mick out of a little bit for the home game where he just basically wanted to just run after John Stones. And then obviously the away game, he came on and looked really, really bad on the ball. He's the sort of player that you can nurture. And Chelsea have lost these sorts of players over time. 
and he's somebody that never what he wants everything he does is for the benefit of the club it's not personal and I absolutely adore that I'm so happy you said everything about Gallagher just then because it was absolutely spot on in my opinion yeah and I guess that we can just see how Connor goes from now till the end of the season but performances like that then there's absolute reason to keep around Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Tom, just to give you, we kind of saw this game like the Kepa conundrum, right? We see that absolute howler against Fulham. And then today, he is a big reason why Chelsea got three points and massive, massive saves in that game. Brilliant save from, I think, Elise early on first half. Brilliant uh, headed from a corner point bang range from from Schlupp makes a, a great save for, from a Decore uh, shot late on in that game. And he was a big reason why Chelsea, you know, for as well as they played, did come under quite a bit of pressure and he did give up some decent chances in that game. He's a big reason why Chelsea ended that game with three points. And it's just kind of leads us on with like, we kept kind of like, there's a player there, there's, there's a player there who clearly has improved from what we saw from the lows he hit. But I guess... You know, as good as that was, there's just always going to be doubts because of what we saw on Thursday against Fulham. And it's kind of just like, what do we do? Because Chelsea with Chelsea are going through this massive overhaul. And there probably are more pressing positions on the pitch than goalkeeper right now, you would say. But at the same time, the goalkeeper is a pretty pretty integral role and will win you a lot of games and points. I mean, we don't even have to look any further into, you know, what the game after today, the North London derby, Hugo Lloris. Again, that's another clanger. Him and that's quite a few clangers he would have made recently for that Spurs team, and it's just like your goalkeeper is such a such a big role, and as brilliant as that performance was, and he deserves a lot of praise today. That performance, it just kind of just raises the question again: like, what is what is Kepa like? How what is his shelf like? What what is his role at Chelsea moving forward? Because there's also Edward Mendy who we don't know about. There's obviously Slanina, you know, coming through who maybe probably needs to maybe go on a few loans before he's before he's ready. But it just kind of raises just that, that awkward question again of like. What did Chelsea do? But obviously addressing other areas of pitch and the goalkeeper can probably take a back seat, certainly, you know, till the end of this season. But then we'll kind of see moving forward. But what are, you, what are your just kind of thoughts on it? Because the goalkeeper position is a position where it just kind of, you know, rears its ugly head just every now and then. I mean, I I don't really have much more to add um, because that's that, that's all right. I mean, it, it's Harry on Twitter that is a big, not anti-Kepper, but he, he thinks Mendy is a better keeper and will do things that Kepper can't, which is fair enough. And he the word he uses is ticking time bomb. But it's yeah. not far off that. Um, I don't know. I, I think ultimately I sit in the camp of there's, there's bigger things that need sorting out. And Kepper is basically pretty much the bottom of that list right now, the goalkeeping position. I said the other day on our podcast, we've got two one and a halves because neither of them are the complete package. Because I would say, like, against Fulham, Mendy comes out, claims that cross, and it's all good. But the way that Mendy was playing at the end of Tuchel and for most of 2022, he was really, really bad. And there were calls for Kepa to come in, even under Tuchel. Um, But also, Kepa is really good with his feet. And that is genuinely quite integral under Potter. And I don't... 
especially now that the season is basically, as we say, a write-off, I don't have a problem with Kepa keeping playing because he does just keep on going. I mean, I don't know what his sort of expected goals against is, but he must still be right, right on top, even with the couple of mistakes he's made. It's a really, really tough one. And also, I also don't really see the answer because I don't want Chelsea to go out and replace Kepa and Mendy with a number one like Emmy Martinez, particularly, because I don't think that's the sort of step up you want. And the Chelsea really, goalkeepers are stu- such a hard position. Chelsea were so blessed to go from Czech to Courtois. And this position is really, really strange. I mean, I'm just trying to, I'm just brainstorming off the top of my head. The only bloke I can think of possibly a young goalkeeper I don't really keep track of too many um but like someone like Dean Henderson is that worth a risk I mean I don't even know I don't feel like that he 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 moves the needle enough to be worth it I don't know I wouldn't be thinking to get rid of Kepa anytime soon but at some point one of Kepa and Mendy's going to get annoyed and it's not a great situation to have but it's the sort of one that you can hold off until the summer if something happens over the summer, fine, then you deal with it. But if nothing happens, it is one that you're sort of okay to drag on with, I guess. Um, but it's a really, really unique and messy situation. And I don't know where I stand because, as you say, he, he makes saves that he shouldn't, which he wasn't making before, by the way. Um, but he also is just, you're never sure. Because before he made all of those saves today, he came for a long ball into the box and just completely missed the punch, but then atoned for it with a save. It's a really, really weird one. I'm a, I, I'm a goalkeeper, so I'd like to judge quite harshly. And I, I mean, I picked up on Lloris. I think he should save the second one, by the way. It's a great strike in that game, but I don't like keepers that are beaten from outside the box. And to be fair to Kepa, that, that, that schlup save was, was good. It's a long-winded way of saying I don't really know. But it's bottom of the pile, so let's just leave it for now. Let, let, like, I'm not usually a fan of this, but let's just kick the can down the road for a little bit longer <laughs> until something more obvious happens. Yeah, no, I think I'm in agreement with you there. Right, I suppose we should talk about the match winner. Travis, Kai Havertz, again, like, it's just one of those... This game, I guess, it's just kind of like what you get with Kai Havertz. Like, it, you kind of just got the complete Kai Havertz game. Like, he does some frustrating things. He misses some good chances. But he does also pop up with, with a goal. And given his role in the team, his job is to, you know, in that position, it's to score goals. So he's kind of done, you know, he's one of his main primary tasks today. But again, it's just like assessing him. Like, it just feels really hard to kind of assess him. Because again, against Fulham, there's like moments and then he just like leaves you tearing your hair out. And it's just like, you just kind of wonder, like, recover. It's like, it's obviously where he's worth persisting with, certainly till the end of the season. And he'll have a role to play in the Chelsea team. But you do kind of wonder... With Felix, you know, potentially coming in permanently, the signing of Mudrik, etc. Like, it is essentially these last few months. Kai Havertz playing for hit, playing for his Chelsea future. Yeah, I, I think he is. I, I don't know how you look in the look at the last two years, okay? And, and just it's been a collective from you know the start of the 2021-2022 season to, to now. We have not seen Kai Havertz even fill the roles that we thought he could. Because I think after the Champions League final, right, that's when his stocks were at the all-time highest for Chelsea fans. Um, And then even going into the following season, we still had kind of kept those. And then I think that they started to dwindle a little bit. And it got to the conversation of, well, we know this guy is incredibly talented. He just has yet to string it all together, but he's going to do it, right? He's going to do it. 
and it, it's not happened. It, it's been so long of this that, yeah, the guy's playing for his future. I, I think that, that how else do you look at it? I mean, this is year three now, and we still have, we still have some fans asking the question, what is his best position? Well, we haven't given him a best position to succeed is sort of the argument. Well, he's been here three years and we can't figure it out. I mean, that that says a lot in and of, in and of itself uh, with Kai Havertz. And where he is today, I mean, you put it right. Like, right, he scores the goal, but how do you even characterize his performance day against Palace? Because, yeah, he scores a goal. That's wonderful. That's the whole objective of the game here. But everything else was bad. I didn't see from him today... Yeah, he scored a goal, but collectively didn't do any other anything else good throughout the entire match. And you pointed it out too in the in the full match. We would see some glimpses of what he can do, and then you see other glimpses when he, you know, he's moving to the left side of the field. Somebody's making a run. It's obvious. Ball's on right now. Play it, and he literally proceeds to just dribble himself out of bounds. Those are the like you said, the hair tearing type decision making, and. He's too far in his development, I think, not just as a player, but also in his own uh, as a career stage for as a player for him. But he's also too far at Chelsea at this point to be making these decisions. You know, other people are making mistakes and other people in the attack have made decisions that aren't right, played balls that a teammate wasn't running to or whatever. Right. There's been mistakes. But I feel like with Havertz, it's just he's just enigmatic. That's how I, I don't know how else to describe him. You know, he'll he'll have a performance like today where he scores the only goal but was still collectively pretty bad. He'll have performances where he's great for two matches in a row. Like, the performances where you say, that's the guy that we thought we would have. And then he'll do six matches of absolutely nothing. And then it'll be like a great match and then a few matches of just nothing. And it, it, the consistency has never been there for him. And I think that's why he is playing for for his job at this point. Like, look at how much we're overhauling the attack. He has to be seeing what's going on and and thinking, okay, there's two guys that the manager likes now, Mudrich and Kunku, and then maybe Felix long-term, right? If we move to a front three system, it's probably him on the bench right there. So I think that he has to see the writing on the wall. And I think the only way for him to to, to, you know, revise the writing that he's probably seeing on the wall is for him to kick on and put more of what he's done, you know, today. Put more, has to add more goals because realistically, Broya is not coming through the door the rest of the season. Probably no other pure striker is coming through the rest of the season. And we have two more matches without Jao Felix. So there is a real opportunity here for Havertz to prove, yeah, I'm the only choice that you have to lead the line and I'm going to do it the rest of the year. But if I'm a betting man, I'm not putting my money on that happening. He, there, there's just, it's just really unfortunate with Kai. I think that there was so much we thought he would be, and we've seen what he can be, but the frequency in which we see that talent is just much too variable. I think for, and he has to show these last four months that he can make those talented performances with at least several matches stringed together of showing that to show that yeah, I can add consistency to my game. And then once he's done that, then maybe we revise what he can do long-term. But if he can't show consistency for me in the next four months, I, I think I'm, I, if I'm the club, I would very strongly look at, at, at any options I have as far as negotiations in the summer for moving him on. I mean, that, that, that Felix performance is actually damning on Havertz because there were very, very similar things said about the two. Can they coexist? They're these nine and a half sort of players Felix also likes to play behind a striker. 
which of them is going to basically sacrifice themselves. And Felix came in and had none of those worries. Straight away, he just sort of floated. Maybe he was given the free role that Havertz has wanted forever. But as you say, Havertz has been here for two years and hasn't really shown that he deserves that role. Um, and for me, that that's just really, really damning. Like, I appreciate in a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1, Havertz is not your number nine. He's not your Harry Kane. He's not your Darwin Nunez. He's not anybody like that. And Mason Mount is not the 10 you want behind him or Chukwameka or anybody like that. Um, and what he did with Felix is really encouraging. But it's it's a little bit like the Pogba conundrum at United. It's, oh, they can unlock him. They can unlock him. They can unlock him. But 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 when when does Havertz take some responsibility and unlock himself? Because this bloke as well never scores with his feet but then he pops up and scores a worldie for Germany against England and a worldie against Dynamo Zagreb. Um, not Zagreb, sorry. Um, whoever else we played in the group stage. Yeah, Maybe it was Zagreb. Yeah, Sol- Salzburg. Um, like, it actually makes me laugh because Havertz was really, really bad today. And Aubameyang, I mean, it was quite funny actually because Aubameyang came on and Chelsea scored and there you go. I think Chelsea basically went to a bit more like a 4-4-2. And we didn't really see it, unfortunately, because of the way the game panned out, sort of game state, Chelsea dropped back. But it's really, really damning that Felix came in and looked so at home. And we've never seen anything like that from Havertz. Even when he's playing at his best, he doesn't grab a game by the scruff of the neck. The game comes to him and he makes the most of it. He doesn't progress the game on. And it's so, so frustrating for a player that everybody wants to do well. Yeah, and it's one of those... Because a lot of people kind of go, oh, Timo Werner, or oh, how much we miss Timo Werner. But I think with like Kai, you kind of realise like there's a really talented football player here who we can give us. With Timo, you go, you're I could if we could get you into the positions, but I do not think your actual all round game is anywhere like anywhere near like really that good. Whereas Kai, you see it and you kind of know, but like he go if he goes to a different league, he'll probably light it up because it will suit him. And I think we've kind of got seen in the Champions League. That's actually been his best performances for Chelsea because that. And quite a lot of these players, attacking players, because it kind of suits the games in, in that competition, kind of suit them more. But it is just I... a frustrate, frustrating thing with Kai that, I mean, we're, however, we're in his third season and we're just like, he scored a goal against Palace. Like, OK, great. What's he going to do next week against Liverpool? What's he going to do in these games coming up? Like, we kind of just need to see see more. And the only time we've really seen anything was, I think, was it that March period last year where he scored... He scored against Burnley, scored against Norwich, scored that winner against Newcastle. He, he put a run of a few games together in that period, kind of just when we were dealing with the sanctions, etc. But then it's kind of just, you don't really see much. You saw him about first leg against Real Madrid. He was hands down the best player on the pitch and the only person who looked like he belonged out there. But then there'll be games like today where you're just like, should you, what are you really, you know, what are you really doing? You've got the goal, great. But that's also probably largely down to a brilliant ball that's put in by Hakim Ziyech we can get on to. But you're just kind of wondering with Kai, like, what do we do? And you know there's a player there. And you so you kind of don't want to like give up on him. But there almost comes point like the player's got to prove to you, don't give up on him. You he can't you can't just kind of go on this idea that like he will do this. And we I think a lot of Chess fans were kind of always get like, he's gonna be the next De Bruyne. But the difference with De Bruyne was he was not given the chance or be anywhere near the amount of chances that Kai was. And look, I yeah. it would not surprise me if Kai goes to the Bundesliga, say he went to Bayern Munich tore it up, got a big move to, to Real Madrid or wherever, did it? It would not surprise me because there's a talented player there. But it comes to the point with Chelsea, like, 
how long do you just going to do on what he could be or what he what he can be instead of what we're actually seeing? Yeah, and like, ultimately, like... some players may just not suit. Sorry, or some players might just not suit what we want to be, and that's fine. No, I... They're brilliant players, but they just might not suit us. I think you're spot on because I think there was a point after year two where there was no real intention to sell him. And the sort of question was, are Chelsea going to get the best out of Kai Havertz? And this was the sort of season to prove it. Could Chelsea get the best out of Havertz? Could Chelsea get, could Havertz get the best out of himself? And right now, I think you could sell a player like Havertz at the end of this season and see him go on to be brilliant and say, you know what? I don't think there's much more we could have done about it. It's just one of those situations. And there aren't, there, as you said, there are times where players go to clubs and you think, how have they not got the best out of him? How has he not gone on to be an absolute star? And you sort of say, oh, that looks that reflects really badly on the club. If Kai Havertz was to leave at the end of this year, ends the season with 10 goals, whatever it is, and leaves and goes to the Bundesliga, I, I wouldn't look back. I'd look back sad because there's he's a much better player than we've ever seen. But I wouldn't sit, oh God, Chelsea, why haven't why haven't we made him into this well beer? I'd say it's just it's just not worked. And it's it's sad because it's not for the want of trying. We've played him on the right wing, we've played him in centre midfield, we've played him up front on his own, we've played him with Timo Werner, we've played him now with Shao Felix, we're gonna try him with another striker. We Chelsea have tried lots of different things. And maybe in an alternate universe with less manager changes and more solidity and different signings around him, things work out well. And maybe Kai Havertz will be the last player that we think of as the what went wrong towards the end of Abramovich in terms of signings. Maybe that's it. Maybe Havertz can be the the image of, of what went wrong with big money signings. Maybe that's a bit too deep, but I wouldn't be annoyed at Chelsea anymore if Havertz doesn't make it at Chelsea as the star that we want him to be. Yeah, I think you said it best there, Tom. I mean, you look at how many areas of the pitch how many different players and how many different tactical setups with different managers, despite all of these different variations and different variables surrounding Kai Havertz, the only common denominator is him, right? That's the only thing that's common between all of these different things where he had variable levels of success. It's it's him. I mean, that's it. And I think you're right. If he goes back to the Bundesliga, he'll smash it there. And there's a lot of reasons from how that they've, physically play the game, the Bundesliga that seems to not adapt very well to the premier leagues. You know, we saw that with Timo, right? I mean, the guy is already this season has gone back to Leipzig and scored plenty of goals for them. Um, it just doesn't transfer well. I think he'll go back and, you know, Bayern are going to, you know, they have the, the Lewandowski sized hole and they're going to have sooner rather than later. And I'm going to be very sad to see this day happen, but they'll have a Thomas Muller uh, sized hole as well in, in their attack. And, who better, you know, long-term they can, they have Musiala already. Okay. Let's get Kai Havertz. I mean, those are two guys to to lead them for quite some time. And Kai gets to go back home to where he's from. I mean, he gets to go back to his country and all things considered. If I, I think if he goes to Bayern, he'll have a wonderful career there. I mean, and win, win the title plenty of times and, and score plenty of goals and have a great career, but you're spot on. It, it gets to the, both of you are in terms of how often are we going to continually talk about the, the present day Kai Havertz by talking about the potential we thought he had when he was signed three years ago. And as well, how long are we going to continue to wait for something to happen despite giving this guy every chance to do it? And and one of your comments I really wanted to point out a little more on, I think you're so right with that is that 
this guy doesn't ever, he's never the guy to take the game for himself, right? You kind of made that comment. He's not the one to take control of the game. He's the one to let the game come to him and then do good things. And, and I think that what that highlights is he's an attacker, right? Who's a guy that's not known for being only a goal scorer who can kind of, he can create more. He can be that midfield type presence, but he can also score some goals with it. But when I hear that kind of profile, I think of a guy that is able to make others around him better through what he does in a variety of different ways. I just have never seen Kai Havertz making other teammates around him better. And I think that when you have this much talent and you're not even really doing it on an individual scale, and then you're not even doing it on a way as, well, maybe if your stats aren't great in the goals department, the assist department, well, are you, or do you have that effect around other people that it seems to be obviously you're allowing them to have more of the spotlight with some of the things you're doing, or you're creating a lot of shots, you know, you're passing the pass that creates the shot or whatever secondary assist as people refer to it sometimes, you know, he doesn't even do those things. So, or at least nearly often enough. So I think that's where it's, you know, individually, you're not getting it done. Uh, you're also not really making other people around you better. We've given you all these opportunities all these different positions, all of these different managers, and it just isn't working. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's just very unfortunate. And I think that it, it can almost be an entire conversation of itself is, you know, and your final comment is, is the, the portrait of the failings of the Roman Abram- Abramovich era in the last five years. Yeah. I mean, we, we spent an outrageous sum of money on him and it was kind of viewed as this is the prospect that can't fail. Like this is the big money youth signing that can't fail. And uh, sure enough, that's where we are. And it, it is very sad, but I, and I think that was when I really wanted us to see if we're going to spend huge, huge amount of money and sums on players, can we get a little bit more established than like uh, one and a half great years in the Bundesliga when, when we've seen, like I can turn the Bundesliga on and see how they defend. It's, it's, it's incredibly high lines uh, that are easy to exploit behind with, with, you know, running into space. You know, you saw Holland do it again and again and again. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very sad with Kai. And I actually was just talking today with a friend and saying, you know, a 70 ish million Euro sale doesn't seem unlikely this summer to Bayern. I mean, they're going to have some needs. Maybe they have some cash to go get them, but yeah, uh, it, it, it's just unfortunate it's not worked out for Kai the way we would have wanted. And the fact that we're having this conversation on a game in which he provides the only goal and gets us three points, I mean, it speaks volumes. It really does. And I think, Nick, it was shared in one of our group chats that the player ratings, despite scoring, he was our lowest rated starting player today. Yeah. Um, and granted, you can say whatever you want about player rating websites. That's a whole other conversation, but it feeds into what I'm saying. So I'm going to use it for right now. <laughs> yeah, no, Exactly. Exactly. Look, Kyavas has scored more goals in 2023 than Erling Haaland, so, you know, <laughs> you never know who's going to be to start someone. But, but now, honestly, it's one of those things. Like, I think it's just one of those things. See what happens now to the end of the season. There doesn't need to be any big decision, but come the summer, a decision can be made. And ultimately, I think it's, it is also very possible that Chelsea and Kai can just both benefit from the player going elsewhere. And Kai can go elsewhere and thrive. And it doesn't mean Chelsea made a mistake, because if Chelsea build an attack that suits them and how they want to play and they thrive and they can have success and they can be more successful than they've been quite. Then ultimately there's nothing wrong with it. It's worked. As I said, the player is a brilliant player and he just might not have suited us or how we want to be. And that's okay. That's okay. It did not work out. He's a brilliant, he can go on to be a brilliant player elsewhere. Shame it wasn't with us. But if we adequately build a team, get the right profiles in, get the attack we want, and we have 
success or you know improvement will be seen, then you can't really argue with it and just go, yeah, okay, is what is. We we shake hands and move on. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Right. Tom, don't have to be too long this. Hakim Ziyech. Again, a player who could well be off the end of the season. But again, a player you can just go, you kind of see what he offers. Again, gets the assist. Obviously, also create that chance for Kai in the first half that Kai headed over. A player who, look, he probably is off. Again, it just kind of just sums up how silly this season has been that he started the game earlier in the season was at, you know, the airport a few hours or a day before or after, etc. But again, just a small thing. Hakim Ziyech just shows what, what he can do. And again, a player that is talented, but ultimately just is not does not really fit what Chelsea wanted to do and have wanted to do post Lampard going. Yeah, again, I, th- I think you've basically summed it up. I mean, I don't think he's been that bad since Chelsea sort of called upon him after the World Cup. Um, I thought he was pretty good against Manchester City at home, and would have got a lot more out of that game if Chelsea had any sort of pace in behind, because there were lots of times that the balls could have just been played. I thought he was pretty decent against today. Down the right-hand side, some link-up with Mount and Gallagher and people running in behind the Palace sort of left side was was where Chelsea were getting a lot out of the game and and, and Ziyech was, was heavily involved, sort of pulling the strings from a bit deeper. Um, but again, you, these good performances don't really mean too much. Um, you know, he is going to leave, should be going to leave um, and isn't the answer, hasn't quite worked out at Chelsea, they'll get some money for him from a European team because he's gold dust for a team exactly like Ajax, basically. Um, he's a player with quality that, that can do it, but he's not quite worked in the systems at Chelsea over, whatever it is, four managers now, um, or three managers uh, for him. We can appreciate his quality now, but there's not really much more to say about Ziyech that we haven't said um, He's being useful. Fair play to him. He could have completely downed tools at this point, and he sort of did under Tuchel, it looked like. But he's come back from the World Cup and looked a happier player because he's playing regular minutes right now. I mean, when was the last time Hakim Ziyech played this many games for Chelsea, sort of in a condensed period of of time? So There's a chance that Chelsea may still get a decent amount out of Ziyech until the rest of the season if he's still called upon. But it doesn't really change too much. I mean, thank you very much for the ball in today. He can leave without too many emotional goodbyes. I mean, people have been really, really angry at him for some of the substitute performances we saw under Tuchel. Um, but I, it's it's not that deep, in my opinion. I think again, he he was. I don't want to call him like a victim of the circumstances in the sort of way that Chelsea acted in the transfer market, but he probably wasn't far off that. You know, you buy players to fit what you're trying to build, and then. You either move away from what you're trying to build or don't build properly around it. And the ex just sort of sat in the middle thinking, well, you know, what do I do? Yeah. Thank uh, you, but goodbye. Yeah, exactly. Just a player who's just had moments at Chelsea and has, you know, given fans some some good memories, but just a player of just moments, inconsistency, just 
Yeah, he's almost like a less. We've not seen it quite as much, and it's maybe not quite as big because Juan Mata probably had a bit more. But it's almost like Mata at United, you know, just like this player who is he's clearly very good, but they've just never played the system or got the best out of him. And it just kind of feels a bit like that with Ziyech with us. Uh, before we move on to a couple of list of questions again, I'll just add, I thought Jorginho, he comes in today. He came off the bench against Fulham, I thought was solid, and he comes in today and is pretty solid. Trav, again, it's just, just one thing, it's just like Jorginho, just like, yeah, it's a solid game today. It's just like, I don't, I kind of don't really know where to go with it. It's like, it's solid. He was good today. It's a game that probably, you know, can suit him. Palace kind of sitting back a bit, not being... Obviously, they did, you know, at points going to game, put some nice passes to play together, and come the end, we were under the cost a bit. But again, just to put, we're solid today, and it's just like, yeah, this is what we can do. There's, again, we just know there's a quality player there, but come the summer, talks for him leaving, you know, which just have never really gone away the last few years. Just like, cheers, thank you, just goodbye, and just like, yeah, you're, you're again, actually probably a success story, success story, despite the the common common opinion about him. Yeah, I think in terms of the larger conversation, you're right. I mean, he's he should be reviewed as a successful player for Chelsea um, during his time here. I know that, you know, that the online discourse regarding Jorginho tends to be one of the inc- most polarized subject in Chelsea, you know, sports that I can think of or, or Chelsea football. Um, as fans in modern time, it's an incredibly polarizing argument. And, you know, he's he's hit incredible heights with us by winning UEFA Player of the Year. Um, but the, the simple truth here is, you know, he's an aging player, uh, with age, the body is going to decline physically. And, and, and I mean, that's just how it goes. Not everybody's Tiago Silva and, you know, the exception to the rule. So it's, I don't think his skill set's going to get any better. And he's already sort of has the weaknesses dealing with, you know, how fast, you know, other opponents are able to close down space relative to how he can do that. So he has to rely so much on his physical positioning and reading and anticipation of the game uh, um, to overcome those things. And I just, you know, as the, his body ages more and, you know, the opponents consistently have younger players, it, the, I think this gap is only going to get worse. And today's performance, he was very, very good today. Virginia was very good today. One of the better, one of the better ones collectively, I think out there from start to finish. But I think today's match, if if when Jorginho is amazing and we have a very pedestrian, passive 1-0 win where few things break one way, a few things break the other way, it could have been a 1-0 loss. Like, if that's where Jorginho is offering the most, then I don't think that we're really seeing – I don't think that we're seeing enough, like, positive outcome. And, and granted, we're in a bad spot, so maybe what I'm saying is weight, giving a little too much weight – uh, in some ways and not giving him enough credit in others. But I just think that where we see this squad trending, you're right. It's going to be, thanks for all your time, Jorginho. You've been a great player for us. You, you did a lot. You helped us win a Champions League. You you reached UEFA Player of the Year higher than anybody that's probably going to reach in this Chelsea squad for quite some time. Um, but, you know, now, now you can go enjoy your, you know, sort of send off into the into the sun and just go light up Syria. I mean, Jorginho in Serie A right now may be player of the year because it's such a slow, passive style of play, it seems like, in many ways that, man, you put this guy as like a pure low role for somebody that he's just going to light it up. Um, but, yeah, I think that we're we're transitioning past Jorginho uh, after being so integral for so many seasons across so many different managers. We're transitioning past him, and I think that uh, – and I think that he's tra- his skill set is transitioning – 
out of usefulness with with Chelsea's setup and where we're going. And you know, I don't think that we want to continue to be this incredibly slow build-up play that's just focused on moving the ball around. And you know, if we don't get the exact chance we want, we'll just send it backwards and, and retry. I think that we're going to see a different model uh, in terms of our build-up play tactics long-term with Potter. Uh, yeah, and Jorginho is what he is. We know what he is. We know what his limitations are. We know what his skill sets are. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'll continue. I've always been a fan of Jorginho. Continue will, will, you know, to be a fan of him. But, uh, yeah, it's probably the end of the road for him. And I think even today's performance, if he's one of the better ones, if today's one of his best performances that we have still have left from him or the type of, you know, upper performance that he has left in the tank, it's just not going to be enough long term. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Tom? Lewis Hall, he's firstly starting last two Premier League games ahead of Mark Cucurella. That probably tells something itself. Just what your kind of thoughts on what, what you've seen? Because, you know, we have seen him perhaps get exposed a little bit more defensively these last two games. I think Elise, this game caused him some problems, or as a. And, you know, again, it's another game where he's had a really good chance to get his first Chelsea goal and he's not, he's not quite up. But look, 76 minutes again, is he just... Is Lewis all one your sort of success story of the season for Chelsea? And I guess what you're just kind of thoughts on seeing him playing ahead of Mark Kukurla right now? I think he deserves to just keep playing. Um, I would be no more or less confident in Lewis Hall to do a job next week at Anfield than I would with Kukurela. I mean, I, I don't really back either of them to sort of have the defensive impact that Chelsea will need um, on the side of Salah. But from what we've seen so far under Lewis Hall, he's he's 18 years old. Like 18 year olds don't play this much Premier League football. And from what we've seen of him, he's been really, really solid. And I've been really, really impressed with him. And I keep on thinking back to last season when Tuchel didn't give any teenagers any minutes. And bearing in mind there wasn't a massive, massive set of options for teenagers for Tuchel to pick. I just think the way that Lewis Hall has been trusted this season, somewhat out of necessity and somewhat out of his performances, has just been quietly impressive. You know, he, he doesn't have to be Ben Chilwell to be successful. And that's that's what we're sort of judging him on at the moment. He's been more consistent and reliable on the ball than Cucurella, who looks like he, he's playing on ice most of the time and he's scared of defending. Whereas Lewis Hall as well, you have to think he plays most of the time for the youth teams in centre midfield. And you can sort of see that with the way he he does move in field. I mean, I, I said in, in our group chat earlier, I mean, if Lewis Hall could finish, he, he could be the top scorer this season. Because I think that that's basically five pretty decent chances. And if you put Chilwell there, it's probably five goals. But that's not how you're judging him. Um, he's direct on the ball, sometimes too positive, like trying to take players on when he shouldn't. And he does, you know, he, he's not perfect um, at all, but it's really positive. And this is the sort of thing that Chelsea need to be prioritizing for the rest of the season, in my opinion. Um, obviously, like you can't just give up on Cucurella now. He's, he's, it's not a bad player. He can't be like he, he was Brighton's player of the season. He was clearly really, really solid. He's obviously struggled this season. Um, but to have the sort of option in Lewis Hall, I like him and I like what he offers. He he's a bit hard on his sleeve, like you know, he can you can see when he's angry and when he's frustrated at himself. But you can also see where he fits in, and it takes a lot of trust to go with the left side of Hall and I'm trying to think it was it was basically 
chuck Wameka on the left-hand side. It takes a lot of trust to do that. And maybe that's why the right-hand side got more of the ball today. But, I mean, the first couple of minutes, you can see Lewis Hall sprinting down that left-hand side. He's got the energy. He, I think he's going to develop into a really, really, really decent player. Um, you know, you're not going to go as far as to say you think he's going to be the next Ashley Cole or anything crazy like that. But he's absolutely the sort of player that even at 18 can hold down a squad role and he's going to get enough minutes in the Premier League, in the Cups. Obviously, we're out of them now, but he's, he sort of had his had his two chances to be worth sticking with and worth giving the minutes now. Um, it's a big decision next week against Liverpool with Cucurella. He's, he's now not played for a couple of weeks. I mean, when he came on against Fulham, the, the way that sort of summed it up was when I think Silver clipped the ball out to him and he just completely missed his touch right in front of Potter. And you're just thinking, like, really? He just needs maybe some sheltering. And, and Hall doesn't need that right now. Um, I've been really impressed with him. I, I, success story of the season? Yeah, I, I guess so, because there, there's been so little. I mean, it's a bit boring to say Tiago Silva is the success stories. This <laughs> is nothing we didn't know. Um and if Lewis Hall can go on and get another 10 Premier League appearances, maybe under his belt, maybe, maybe that's quite a few. But, you know, another five to 700 minutes in the Premier League, I don't think it's unreasonable. That's that's brilliant for his development at this age. And that's all you can say. And you can just hold your hands up and say that that's really, really good. It also means he's basically going to bypass a year out on loan, which he's not going to benefit from. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Would you add, Connie Chukameka got a start today, which is a bit meh. You know, perhaps not as bright as we've seen recently, but we will move on to listener questions. First one comes in from Sham. Tempted to start both Felix and Modric for the Liverpool game or take the safe approach? Well, Sham, Felix is still suspended for Liverpool. So uh, that one's out the window. But Sham, it does, I guess, raise the question. Because we did kind of see Hakim Ziyech today was fairly impressive. We'd imagine Kai Havert starts next week. And there's obviously a question if Modric starts. If we say Modric starts, then what happens in the other spot? Because... I mean, Mason Mount, again today, unfortunately, was a fairly, a game that probably passing by. I think, I mean, he might have been whipped in sort of that cross, whatever, that Hebert's headed, had it wide, albeit there's, you know, it's perhaps maybe overhit a little bit, or depend, depending on how you view it, both sides will argue it was perfectly set up him to score, and others will say there's too much pace in it for, for Kai, etc. Who knows, maybe a better striker gets touched a bit. It does kind of feel amazing, just a game that is sort of passed him by a bit, sort of a bit similar with Fulham. Like, maybe there's moments, but again, he'll, like, he'll put a turn and he'll, he puts a cross in the box, but it goes straight to the keeper. And it's just, would you start, firstly, would you start Mudrick against Liverpool next week? And then on that, if you are starting him, would it be a Havertz and Ziyech to partner him up top? Or would you, or would you against Liverpool and better sort of press, would you sort of want Mount maybe? Or what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, so that's a bit of a tough question. I think... From my fan perspective, yeah, we're gonna start. We're gonna start Mudrich uh, against Liverpool because I'm ready to see what he can do. Um, but if I'm trying to think actually a little more, a little more just rationally about this, I think it's gonna be a big moment to bring Mudrich on uh, to start away at Anfield to open up his debut. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's a bit of a cop out out here but I think what I would prefer to do if we could if we could keep the match close don't start Modric just go with the same front three at literally out of force because we don't really have any options uh I think that if we can do that then bring him on later in the second half when when the you know the legs of the defenders are a little bit more tired 
let's let that and then that's when we can use him to have a little bit more you know let him grow into the game a little bit let the or you know let the game grow a little bit and then bring him in when people are tired and give him a chance to run past him a bit more right when his skill set might have a bit more advantage than it already has uh later on you know post 60th minute or something like that uh and, and your your comments are right i mean ziek looked better today but we know how the story with ziek goes we know how the story with Havertz goes and unfortunately what you said about mount is true he's been he's been by all means off of it this season it's just not been what we've expected after you know two consecutive you know you know fan player of the year award so it just hasn't really clicked for him. It, it happens. Um, you know, we even had Eden Hazard go through a similar awful season, despite good seasons everywhere else. Not saying that, you know, Mason Mount is the same as Hazard or going to be the same as him long-term, whatever. Just saying that players have off seasons. They have bad times uh, here and there. They have bad runs, but I'm going to cop out a little bit and say, nah, let's just bring him on as a, as a substitute in, in those final, you know, maybe maybe final 40-ish minutes or so um, of the match and use his skill set there. I, I think maybe that's a better way to embed him into this team because let's be real, his level of development and experience with this top flight kind of, a, uh, let's be honest, opponents, you know, Zhao Felix playing in La Liga, playing some of the better, you know, players in the world there um, with and against them. Uh, and then, you know, he also has the experiences from Benfica, a lot of Champions League experiences, whereas you look at Mudrich and really this is his first breakout season and he's not even all the way through it. So I don't want to throw this guy to the wolves, so to speak, in his first match. And then maybe it doesn't go as we want. And then that builds sort of a precedent. And let's just let's just try to have every narrative we can for our new signings be as best that it possibly can be. Because if I have to watch another like failed massive money attacker at Chelsea, it's going to be quite depressing. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Tom, question for you comes in from RJ. What did you notice we did differently besides win between the Fulham and Palace performances? Because, I mean, again, this is an interesting thing I saw from expected Chelsea. In the last two games, we've had 35 shots. 27 shots inside the box, eight big chances created and seven big chances missed, missed despite having quite a lot of the squad injured. In general, it's, it's all felt my only, I guess my only real difference, I'm probably sorry for answering the question when I've asked you, but it kind of said the only real difference is kind of defensive, defensive solidity. But actually, I think attacking wise, both games have actually been fairly encouraging. I do not know the XG for today, but against Fulham, we created more than they did. Uh, and we, you know, scored, I think it was over two we created in that game. So, we are create, creating stuff, but what, what have you kind of noticed in these last two games? Any differences between Fulham and today that you that you kind of noticed what we did differently? I mean, obviously, the, the, the tactical change, you know, going from the back five to the back four. Um, I was trying to think about this because it's a big sticking point. Everybody says with Potter, like he's not proving why he should be the manager long term, etc. Because we're not seeing patterns of play, etc. And then you have the injuries debate and you have it all the time. So so I was actively trying to look for sort of patterns of play. Um and sometimes it was quite tough. But the one thing that really stood out in my mind, especially the first half, was trying to get in behind their left hand side with Ziek. And lots of times Chelsea got into a position to play cutbacks and say Mount maybe quite often didn't pick the right ball. So that sort of happened. Um, I think the biggest thing for me was that 
Chelsea at the moment, if you split split the pitch into thirds, you've got the defensive third, the middle third, and the attacking third. We're very, very slow still, I think. Too slow in the middle third. But in the attacking third, we seem to be a lot freer and a lot more intuitive and just more direct. You say just, just having shots. I mean, Felix, did he have four shots, did you say? I mean, I he was just, against Fulham, yeah. just firing them off, right foot, left foot. I mean, Ziyech, again, we know what he's going to do. He's going to cut the ball back onto his left foot and he's going to cross the ball in. But Chelsea just having shots, just being, not waiting, not thinking about scoring the perfect goal, just doing things. And I think in the attacking third, I can't pinpoint one exact thing because we're not still seeing necessarily patterns of play like, you know, like like set goals, like the Man City one, get to the byline, cut it back, that sort of thing. But against Manchester City, and Travis made the point, Chelsea sort of waited for Man City to come onto them and played through the lines pretty well. And that midfielder, that midfield was Kovacic and Zakaria. There's only so much Chelsea can do right now. Like without Zakaria, that's not happening. Kovacic is going through one of the worst slumps he's had at Chelsea for a while. And with Jorginho, you're just really going to struggle to play through teams at pace. So it's really, really tough to sort of think game by game what Chelsea is sort of taking because of the injuries and the fact that the systems are having to be tinkered with and like trying to think about setups for each game at the moment for Chelsea is ridiculous because you just don't know. Um, so to answer Arda's question, I don't think there was anything specific that Chelsea necessarily did different today. Obviously, you've got Gallagher was a bit of a, a free role in there to just run after the ball and cause carnage. Maybe even something like that was helpful. I think using Ziyech in a certain way, giving him the ball in areas that you think he can create and playing one touch around him is something that Chelsea have been doing more often now. Um, but other than that, I'm, I'm not seeing anything too much that we're sort of seeing going through game to game at the moment because it's really, really hard. Um but there's definitely something that is being more positive when Chelsea have the ball in the attacking third. And when there's there's like there's a, there's a trigger at some point when a pass goes into someone like Ziyech and he pops it back, all of a sudden people start moving rather than waiting. And it's a shame that at the moment it only happens in the attacking third and mainly on the right-hand side. But they, they do happen now, which they just weren't before. There was too much pass, 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 try to thread the lanes too much positional play, too much waiting. Whereas now it looks a little bit more individualistic. Can you do something on the ball? Yes, you can. Brilliant. Go and try. Um, a little bit more freedom, I guess, is is probably my answer. But nothing solid that I would say that's the way we're going to break through Liverpool or anything like that. And his second question is, how do you think Potter intends on using our new boy, Modric, IE formation and potential role-wise? I mean, Tom has quite, quite a tough one because, you know, we don't have a whole heap of evidence on him. Um, but just any initial thoughts? As a, as a left winger or a left left sided attacker in a four two three one. Um, strangely enough, exactly where you sort of think Nkunku might want to play. Maybe he's slightly more of a, a shadow striker at number ten. Virgil going to the left. Um, he's going to be direct and the say vertical. He's going to be the sort of transition player, create something out of nothing. He's quite different, I think, to any attacker that Chelsea have seen for, for a while. I mean, Timo Werner was obviously quite different as well, but he was more of a striker. Havertz isn't exactly rapid. We've discussed him. Pulisic 
again I, I i can't think of somebody particularly like mudrick that that, that 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 we've seen um and obviously not seen too much of him sort of compare him i i think he'll be he'll be in on the left wing pretty pretty soon because chukwemeka it's not his best position he doesn't exactly fit in there there's a role for chukwemeka absolutely but i just don't think it's sort of a left wing and so i i'm just going to go with my with my heart here and sort of answer Travis's question from before, just play Mudrick against Liverpool because it's Trent on that side. And I'm just thinking about Mudrick blitzing in behind Trent right now. Um, and I think Chelsea could have some joy there. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, and then final question of the week. I will answer this. Dean is which Palace had the worst week, Crystal or Kensington? Well, I mean, Dean, Crystal Palace lose to Chelsea every year. So I think the answer is Kendenton and we will leave it there. We will not go any dark, any and deep deeper into into that question. Um that wraps it up for this week of that Chelsea podcast. I want to thank Trav and Tom for coming on. So before we go, I get them to give themselves one last plug. So Tom, before we go, give yourself one last plug where people can find you and where they can find your work and the Blue Crew podcast. Yeah, so once more uh, on Twitter at Tom Coley49 and I post most of my best work from Football London on there. And if not all the Football London social media channels and obviously the website for some pretty decent coverage. Uh, Mr. Adam Newson features very heavily somebody, a pod favourite of yours, Nick. And uh, if you want to check out the Blue Crew podcast, which is going to be going out a bit later this week um, and hear basically all of my thoughts again, uh, then check us out on Twitter at the Blue Crew Pod one. Nice one. And Trav, tell people where they can find you and your podcast. Yeah, I just want to say before that, uh, thanks a lot for having me on, Nick. It was actually, it's been a really, really fun conversation today. I've really enjoyed it. But um, you can find me at on Twitter at Crossroads underscore CFC. And then you can also find me, uh, the podcast that I help co-host along with a few others is called the Balanced Blues Brothers Podcast. And you can find us on Twitter at Balanced Blue Pod, and then pretty much any podcast provider uh, platform is where you can also find us there um, by searching. But uh, tends to be more of the uh, we, we we tend to try to get a lot of different viewpoints, so uh, it's hence the name Balanced. But uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. And again, thanks a lot, guys. It's been it's been a great time talking to y'all. It's been a while too. I feel like too since we've when we sat down and talked. But uh, thanks a lot again, and looking forward to maybe in the future. Yeah, nice one to say. All the links will be in the description below. As for us, we're on Twitter at that trust pod, we're on Instagram at that trust pod. Whenever I put out any likes, retweets, goes a long way, just gets it onto other people's timelines. We're on all your usual podcast platform providers, Apple, Spotify, etc. If you have liked the show, please leave a rating and review. Look, whether you liked it or not, I know we got when I had Tom on. I know when I had you, Tom, on last. It was Brentford and Man United, and I got a review calling you xenophobic because you said one slightly negative thing about Christian Pulisic amongst a whole heap of other positive things. I remember because I sent you that review afterwards. It was quite funny. But yes, if you did enjoy the show, leave a rating review. Or if you didn't and you just want to be read out, I will happily read it out. Um, But yeah, until the next episode, everybody, keep a blue flag flying high. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.